What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Tuesday Tips brought to you by the Hunt, Lift, Eat official podcast. I am your co-host, Perry, joined tonight by the full table. We got our our uh, podcast producer, Carter. What's going on, Carter? What's up, Perry? Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Got got a couple other uh, returning guests back. We got uh, Scotty Eisen out of uh, California, a native Californian boy, and got... Uh, the one and only Bobby McCready coming to us from the Jersey Shore. How's it going, fellas? Hello. It's going well. It's going well. Thanks for having us on again. I didn't think we'd make it back on after last one. Yeah, well, it was it was touch and go for a minute, but you know what? Carter and I needed some content, so here you are. Desperate <laughs> times, boys. Desperate times. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just run through some uh, some miscellaneous tips, um, kind of round table. Um, Bobby, you want to start us off? Of course I do. You know, I, I just feel like that. I just definitely want to start this one right now. So uh, since we're starting with miscellaneous tips, I'm going to talk to about something that I'm working on this summer because it's basically what I can do now that all my seasons are closed out and I get a little depressed. And now uh, basically what I'm doing is running my dogs, getting them ready for next season, getting them in strength, keeping them running, uh, keeping them healthy. A lot of guys uh, – that do do upland hunting, you know, they forget that the summer season is actually one of your most important because you want to make sure that dog is healthy moving forward. Uh, so you're not actually getting more prone to injury. Something that I like to do is when I'm running my dogs, working them in fields, uh, training on scents, on wings and things like that. I'm also scouting for my next deer spot because I bring them to my WMA. So kill two birds with one stone, try not to be as depressed as you can be for the off season. A lot of scouting time coming up, a lot of working with your four-legged best friends as everybody knows i got my three pointers that are constantly just no regard for personal space and uh i I like to keep them active during this off season so some of the things that i do are working them in fields uh we do a lot of bike joring hooking them up to the mountain bike keeping them those joints uh from getting stiff throughout the season so just something to think about that we always tend to forget that just because the season's over doesn't mean the dogs can't be working. Let's get them out there, get them working, and keeping them healthy for that upcoming season. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, we talk about prep for ourselves all the time, but, you know, I mean, heck, if you've if you got your hunting buddy, your four-legged hunting buddies out there, um, you know, I, I imagine that that prep for them is huge as well. Like I say, you got to avoid injuries and make sure they're – their heads in the game that I imagine there's a, there's a whole lot that goes into that. So that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cause right now one of my main dogs is actually recovering still from surgery. He had torn his ACL and that is not a fun road to go down. I can tell you it's expensive and it is for a German short hair pointer to remain calm for six months might be the hardest task that anybody can be given to them. Cause I don't know if people know pointers, but they don't sit still for anything. So <laughs> definitely get, definitely get those joints moving on them. Yeah, most most hunting dogs are high energy breeds by design. So I mean, yeah, it's tough to have them sidelined for that long. Yeah, usually when you get when those kind of dogs get that kind of surgery, they don't give the dogs any kind of pain medicine. They give the owner Xanax and things like that to calm <laughs> them down. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you need it. You need it. I, I'm amazed. Just the simple fact that you have three pointers enough is man. You you've already won the the gold medal if you can even handle that. Oh, man, it's not the easiest of tasks, but you know what? Every time you see another pointer and they email them to you like, hey, would you like to foster? Be like, yeah, I'll foster. And then I'm not giving this dog back. And now you just you just keep them all. 
Oh my goodness. I, I, I got a story about pointers. I mean, uh, I, I try to keep it short, but I crazily, I, I wanted a dog and I'm like, uh, and I love duck hunting and I have not done hardly any upland game hunting. And, uh, me being a little younger and naive, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do something different and I'm going to try to get a pointer and turn him into a duck dog. How do you think that went? Well, not seeing that this story is going to be real short. I'm going to say <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. This dog, I named him bogey cause I love golfing and dude, he turned out to be a bogey for sure. But he, um, I loved him. I brought him to work with me every day. My wife was pregnant at the time. I, I, I was crazy for even doing it. And uh, I brought him to work every day. He'd hang at the office and in the truck. And then I'd bring him home and he'd just go wild. He would. Uh, and I, I bought a longboard skateboard because I'm living in town. You know, I don't have necessarily, I got to drive pretty far to go get out to the fields and work. And it's hard to find uh, areas to go, you know, without, you know, making a haul out to it. And so I bought a longboard skateboard. And I would just coast through around this mile long block. I do lap after lap after lap. I get home and uh, nothing was, he wasn't even phased at all. It was crazy. He just wouldn't tire out ever. And then, uh, and like I said, my wife was pregnant. I brought him home. We bought a new house and he ripped up all the irrigation lines in my backyard. And I'm like, dude, you're making my life so hard, you know? And then, uh, my wife wasn't a huge fan of him. So, and, and it was actually really sad. Actually, I brought him, luckily, I brought him, I bought him from a really good breeder here locally. I brought her back to her. Her name was uh, Daniil, and she understood and took him back and they trained him up. And, uh, you know, I don't know where you guys hunt or how you do it, but uh, certain areas out here, you can actually rent dogs, you know, to, to retrieve for you. And so he turned into a, a rental dog. And, and I went back and visited probably two years later and, he ended up uh, being adopted by another hunter, a solid hunter out in Sacramento. And so he ended up having a good life, you know, so I'm happy about that. But, dude, it was uh, um, it was uh, it was really hard to give him away after investing, you know, a year of my life into bogey. And, and so every time I saw your dog jump up on you and uh, I was like, dude, freaking bogey. Why do you have such <laughs> an ass? No, but uh, they're great dogs and 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 they're just so beautiful. And I know how how great of a companion they are, especially when you're out in the field getting a chance to, to run them. Cause I know it's like having Labradors in the blind. And, you know, I just love hunting with dogs. I don't have a dog of my own, but I love having buddies that have dogs. So, you know, it's fun watching them work and do what they were really bred to do. Yeah. That's the thing, man. Watching them do work. The fields is one of my favorite things to do. So that's why I, I like you said, you, you know, the energy level, I feel bad for my wife because she's had her dog, before she moved in with me was a pug and she didn't know what she was getting into. And she's like, Oh, German short hair, you know, like, what are they like? I'm like, Oh, it's just like a pug, just a little bigger. And oh my God. I swear she was going to give my dog back the first day. <laughs> I, got, I don't know what it was going to happen, but Sarge uh, definitely ruled the house over her. That's for sure. I'm surprised you're still around after that. Yeah. I mean, me too. Me and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> So right, side tip, make sure you make sure you pick the right breed for the uh, the, the the hunting that you're going to be doing, huh? Yeah, definitely. Lesson learned on that one. <laughs> now I have a little uh, Yorkie Dotson looking dog. I'm actually, I, I didn't think I'd like little dogs. I thought I always wanted a big hunting dog, but then my wife talked me into getting a little dog, and oh my gosh, um, actually actually enjoy little dogs a little bit. 
That's a lot a less California cleanup. in you. That's yeah, a California. You I put know, in your, your purse and you walk around Rodeo Drive and you know, go to Burberry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's not where I live. To all of you listening, that's definitely not where I live. <laughs> no. That good was dogs. before the sneaky crack before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's funny stuff, man. What what uh what do you have for us this week, Scott? Yeah, um, just you know, basic tip. Uh, I mentioned I, I like duck hunting, you know, and something I started doing over the uh, past couple years. Um, we all know what it's like to be out in the field. I know when I'm hi- hunting the hills and, hills and stuff uh, out here, there's tons of just flies. Uh, you know, in the evenings, there can be mosquitoes. And certainly on the marsh, there's just a ton of bugs. Um, and something I started doing, we all know what it's like to, you know, be sitting around a campfire, be hanging out outside. You know, you got your hoodie on and you're all covered up, but your hands are not covered and uh it it never goes it goes without fail you know you get start getting mosquito bites on your hands and uh, you're just ripping the top of your hand apart but uh so my tip is i started packing um a couple sets of uh just black nitrile uh gloves or latex gloves it's something you can just pop on you know it's not going to keep your hands warm or anything but it's going to keep the bugs off of them um it kind of conceals your hands too i know some guys will throw some camo paint on their hands but you know you cover your hands up and uh it's just a lot more comfortable hunt to be covered up especially you know if you're around water you can get them wet um and uh and then of course if you know you you get something down if you need if you want to wear gloves and try to keep some of that blood from getting underneath your fingernails and try to save on some cleanup you can always double dip and and uh and reuse them so that that's my tip for the week nice yeah there's nothing worse than when you're out there trying to you know make a go of it, whether it be in a duck blind or a deer stand or whatever it is. And you're, I mean, I know for us Eastern boys here, early season, the mosquitoes can be terrible here in the South. So that, that can ruin a, a hunting, hunting day real quick. So any, uh, <laughs> any tip to try to deal with that is, is definitely good practice. No, definitely. Definitely. I, you know, sometimes we'll be hiking out into the marsh. You got to get out there early on this public land. Cause it's kind of a race for, whatever spot you can get. And once you find your spot, you can, you know, you're there plenty early before, before, um, the sun rises. So you got to kind of tuck in and lay down and, uh, maybe try to catch some Z's or at least close your eyes, but you just, you got to wrap your whole body up. They're going to get eaten alive if you don't. So, yep. Those, those gloves have been, uh, really helpful over the years. And, and I pack a couple of them because if you bring a buddy out hunting with you, maybe you're training someone up or you just have someone with you hunting, uh, and, if you have an extra set, you hand it, you know, you give them an extra set and they're pumped, you know, cause you're just getting eaten alive anyway. You're like, Oh dude, thank you so much. So, and they're easy and lightweight, perfect thing to just pack in the duck bag, in the blind bag and in your pack. And, uh, just a great thing to have, have in your repertoire. Yeah, absolutely, man. Good stuff. Cool. Well, I'll, uh, I'll jump in here next with my tip this week. Um, I know for me <clears throat> personally, this is the time of year I start thinking about, um, you know, uh, off season habitat improvements, things that, uh, things that you can do on a property that you're hunting or managing. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm going to talk a little bit about. My tip is to just start to get familiar if you're not already with some of the, um, the native species that are, are, uh, known to occur in your area and that you can find on your property. Um, you know, a lot of folks, you know, may have some basic understanding of, of, um, trees or, or different species that, deer or, or other other wildlife utilized but 
really getting to know the native species that are preferred, whether it be for some sort of forage or um, some sort of preferred cover, um, bedding, you know, whatever it is, having, being able to have it a, 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 an inventory in your mind and be able to, being able to identify um, plants that you can, um, you know, observe as, you, as you're walking your properties or, or doing your various management activities can go a long way. On, on the other hand, um, learning to identify the, the non-native, some of the invasive species that are present as well, and trying to figure out how to tackle the management of those non-desirable species um, is another is another very valuable tool for the for the habitat manager. So my tip is just you know even if it's getting getting familiar with, with one species a year that um, that you you know you want to select for and one species you know I guarantee it pretty much every property owner or um, property manager has at least you know a couple non-native invasive species on their property. Um, I know if you're anything like the family farm that we have, we've got half a dozen non-native species that I'd love to get rid of on our family farm up in Virginia. So, um, you know, it, it could be as simple as learning to correctly identify the difference between a white oak and a red oak. You know, pretty much everybody knows that white oak acorns are preferred by deer, turkeys, squirrels, pretty much every wildlife. Um, and then, you know, you could use that to kind of make make management decisions. Yeah, y'all have that massive issue with your olive bushes going on at the family farm. That is out of control over there. Yeah, it really is. And it's something that's been a, a real like discussion point for Luke and Evan and I the past couple of years. It's like, what can we do about these these olive bushes that are just taking over the world there? And and we've done a little bit of management. I've tried to I've tried to kind of hit it where I can, but it's one of those deals where it can if you have something like that, it can it can really be detrimental to the property if it's left unattended and it's not managed. But if you don't know, right, like if you're, you know, if you're not um, paying attention or you're not well versed in these species and you just think there's a bunch of new shrubs popping up, the deer will browse those olive bushes, particularly when they're young. You might look at it and say, oh, this is cool. The deer are eating it. Um, you see them using it for travel corridors and it's, oh, it's beneficial. Why would I worry about it? But it starts taking over the property and the next thing you know, it's a real problem. Definitely. And, you know, it's so good to be able to identify those plants on how, you know, the animals are interacting with those individual plants. Um, and then likewise for ourselves, for me personally, when, um, when in near these creeks and in different areas, I mean, there's a ton of poison oak too. So, um, being able to identify, uh, not only just the, the, the invasive species or native species, but the native species that, that are going to get you, you know, maybe, and I imagine out there for you guys, you mean probably have some poison ivy and, um, uh, and like, what was it? Sumac maybe, I think, I mean, and that stuff, I know, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm deathly, I mean, if I, I feel like if I see poison oak, I just start itching automatically. I yep. mean, so, I mean, there, there, I've had poison oak so many times and, um, and I'm just, uh, overly cautious of it and just hyper, hyper aware of where I'm at and what I'm doing. Um, I remember we, we did a long, this is during my time in the Marine Corps, we were just doing a training episode down at Kent Pendleton. It was a night operation and a night movement. And we found our spot, set up our, where we were going to um, sleep for the night. And we woke up the next morning and it was just right in the middle of a poison oak patch. I mean, we, That's the I worst. Mean, you, you couldn't even get around it. We, you know, we were probably just so damn tired to even be aware. We we're just trying to look for somewhere to lay down. But, uh, 
you know, but that poison oak, man, it'll get you. And, and so to, to know what you're looking for um, with your plan identification is going to take you a long way and just your connection to, you know, uh, the environment you're walking around. Yeah, it's awesome stuff, guys. Just to piggyback off of that, just looking for poison oak and poison ivy. I don't know if in your area if you guys have it, but we're getting killed by the spotted lanternfly, and now's the time to find them on the base of those trees and kill them all. Just kill them all. If you see them, scomp them, kill them anything that you can. They are so invasive and taking over trees and everything that we have over here. We're getting hit hard right now. Um, so just another thing to keep an eye out for when you're out there walking a the dog or doing anything, just something to be aware of. I've never heard of those. Have you, Perry? No, I haven't, but um, there's there's a number of... I mean, the reality is, whether you're in California, Jersey, North Carolina, Georgia, it doesn't matter. There's there's always there's always some sort of invasive, whether it be a plant or some sort of insect. You know, it, There's something that... Something is having a detrimental impact on something in your area. And so if you can... You know, you don't have to become an expert on this stuff. And, there, and the thing about it is there's there's a lot of tools out there nowadays. There's different apps that you can use. Some of them are free. Some of them have a, you know, a, a subscription model. But there's resources out there. And if you can just start to um, become a little bit versed in, in some of the things that you want to select for and then select against on your property, it can it can go a long way. Yeah, I like that. It's a very realistic goal, too. You know, what you said, like, try and have one per season, one or two new plants per season that you can identify. Um, I think woodsmanship is definitely a skill that all hunters can always be constantly expanding and, you know, trying to get to more of a hundred percent kind of understanding of what kind of trees and uh, foliage is going on in, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What you got for us, Carter? So as we're kind of wrapping up May here, we're getting down too. It's almost June. Summer's here. Um, you know, talking to Gerard last night, uh, owner of Rat Getter Sense, had, had me thinking about this. Um, June, everybody, we need to start putting our trail cams out. We need to start taking inventory um, of deer on our properties. And you know, if you're into that kind of thing, I like to know kind of who's going on, who's who's around, who made it, who's new. Um, and I really like, selfishly, I, li I really like uh, just kind of watching their antlers grow throughout the summer. I just think that's so cool. It's just like wild to me that that happens every single year. It's like a crazy amount of nutrients and energy goes into growing those things every year. It's just so cool. Um, and so, yeah, trail cams need to go out and kind of with that, um, I like to make a couple mineral sites at my properties that I take care of. Um, and you can make your own mineral sites very easy, very cheap. Um, Luke is actually the one actually, Perry, you may have something to do with this, but Luke taught me this recipe and it's, you know, it's no secret or anything like that. But, um, I just buy everything I need at tractor supply and big 50 pound bags. Um, and then find a good spot where you want to set up your mineral site, um, and then set a trail cam on it. So, uh, for your kind of recipe, I guess you're going to want a 50 pound bag of trace minerals, and then you're going to want a bag of salt as well. Um, and you can buy these in bulk and they're not expensive. They're like four five, six bucks for 50 pounds of this stuff. Um, and you're just going to want to go two parts trace minerals, one part salt. That's it. Don't overdo the salt. Um, I think a lot of people, it's easy to overdo the salt and, you know, salt licks and all this stuff. And we think deer really, really want it. Um, they do, but not as high of a percentage um, salt wise. Um, and then with that, I like to throw in a little bit of dicalcium phosphate, 
um, which I think is used in the dairy, like cattle business. I think it helps with digestion. I don't really know what it does. Um, I was just told this is what needs to go in there. And I never really questioned it. I said, yep, makes sense. And I see tons of deer every year, my minerals. Um, so yeah, dicalcium phosphate, um, good way to go. And then I like to throw a little bit, I like to pick up a bag of dried molasses if the place has it too, and just kind of sprinkle in some, some dried molasses, a, he- a healthy, you know, a, a hefty amount of dried molasses. Um, it smells good to me, which means it smells incredible to the deer too. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I like to set up my mineral sites kind of near water. So like I have a pond on my property, uh, which is perfect. They come, they check out the mineral sites and then they always go down and get a drink of water, which makes a lot of sense if you're just taking in all those minerals. Um, yeah, that works really well. What do you put your minerals in? Do you put it in like a, leave it out there in like a bucket or something? So what I started doing, I picked a, I like to pick spots off of pretty active deer trails and uh like somewhat shaded um somewhat kind of protected and enclosed you know naturally and i like to do all my minerals i like to find like a down tree or like a stump or something like that and kind of use that as the anchor anchor point for my minerals and then i'll dump everything on top of around that um i've got a stump back here that i I cut it was a uh, sweet gum tree that I didn't need anymore. So I cut it and I started pouring all the minerals, um, on top of that. And then the deer just like nibble at that thing and chew on it year round. Um, even if I'm not, you know, on top of my game, putting out minerals all the time, they just pull it up and, you know, nothing grows around there anymore. It's just like dirt and deer hoof imprints where they just, they just tear it up. So I like to find something to put it on. Um, I've just dumped it on the floor before, but, you know, if it rains, most of it's going to wash away, you know, so you want to have something to anchor it to. It's a good way to get some uh, free stump removal, too, if you do that, if you do the stump method. Um, yeah. That's something, though, to, to check your check your local uh, rules and regulations on, because very different states have different um, requirements for that. Like I know in Virginia, Bobby, <clears throat> we are required we can put out minerals and this is Carter hit the nail on the head. This is the time of year to do it. And that's the exact same formula that Luke and Evan and I have been using on our, on our place in Virginia for the past couple of years, but we're required to actually have all the minerals um, up and out like a month before opening, opening archery starts in the fall. And so uh, you like, we could use some sort of trough or bucket or, you know, some sort of container, but what we've found just for simplicity's sake, because um, it has to be, you know, they have to be gone is just dig a hole in the ground. And that way you can, you can keep them from washing away or, or getting, you know, kind of, you know, losing them to, to rain and et cetera. But you, you dig a hole, you put them down in there, you know, we're careful not to put out too much. We don't put out more than we think they'll consume in the amount of time before we have to have them gone. And then um, let the deer kind of, you know, work through it and then just go back in um, before hunting season and, and, cover the hole and make sure all the minerals are gone out of it prior to doing that. So check your, check your local regulations because different States do have, have different requirements. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good follow up Perry on that. I always see, you know, people, you know, putting, uh, I don't, I mean, minerals out. It's not, it's not baiting or anything. You're just trying to help, help your herd and help their nutrition and, 
everything, try to keep a healthy herd around you. And I think it's uh, pretty awesome that you guys even have the ability to kind of do that on your own place, you know, and kind of watch it over the year, throughout the year and see some of these deer and be able to, you know, see them pop out in velvet and kind of watch their growth a little bit right in front of you and, and hopes to, you know, get lucky one morning, you know, sitting up in a deer stand someday. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Have you guys shot, have you guys, uh, shot deer on your property? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, well, I have a much smaller piece of property than Perry and Luke do. Mine's only six acres, um, but I'm surrounded by three bigger pieces. And so my goal and objective over the last, shoot, I've known you for almost three years now, Perry, two years. We've been talking about this, uh, is to what can I do to draw them to my, you know, small six acres, um, and food plots and minerals and having the pond and all that has been really helpful, but I've killed, uh, three deer off my property, which has been unbelievably fulfilling. And yeah, there's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. It just goes to show that you don't have to have a, you know, you don't have to have some several hundred acre farm that's heavily managed. Right. I mean, you can, you can make incremental progress and, and uh, have success on, on pretty much any size property that you have access to. So, I mean, you know, it's these types of, of little tips and tricks that, that can be helpful, um, whether it's six acres or 600 acres, whether it's, you know, private or there's even things you can do on public land. So, I mean, um, you know, that's, that's the name of the game. It, it, uh, it doesn't always take a lot. You can, you can, uh, find success out there. So, um, we'll wrap this one up. We appreciate you fellas coming on tonight. Um, can everyone just go around the horn and, and tell folks where they can, uh, can, can find them and follow them on, on the socials. Yeah, mine's as always the Bobby Light. Actually, there's no the. It's just Bobby Light. And that's it. Eventually, it's gonna get changed. I swear. I swear. You gotta change it to the Bobby. I, I think that's. Uh, I think that's better. I, you know what's so funny is like everybody like can't spell light anymore now, and everybody that tries to tag it from HLE like it's always just random dude that just keeps getting tagged and shit now, and I just like laugh my ass off because I'm like it ain't me, but I, I still find it funny. What about you, Scott? That's great. Well, you can uh, you can find me at the underscore skull underscore keeper. I do have one of those uh, tag names, but uh, yeah, uh, you find me on Instagram and um, part of the HLE team and happy to be here, and, you know, posting stuff about hunting and European mounts. And um, yeah, so that's where you can find me and make sure you pack up uh, some nitrile gloves in your duck bag. There you go. But you, Carter. Uh, you guys can follow me at the homestead underscore GA. Um, I guess before we blast out of here, be sure you guys are following HLE, um, Hunt, Lift, Eat Official on Instagram. We're about to start doing our uh, fitness challenge starting Memorial Day on the 30th, starting with Murph. Um, so stay tuned for that and, you know, get ready to get after it. Start drinking water. Oh, yeah. Yep. Hydrate, baby. About to be that time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, go follow Hunt, Lift, Eat Official. Um, you can follow me at, at perry.r.eisner if you want. There's not a whole lot there, but, but give me a follow. We appreciate it. And uh, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thanks.